Hi, and welcome to the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and this is the podcast that gives you a peek into the lives of the homeschoolers next door. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 49 of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and I'm so happy you're joining me here today. Well, sometimes it's a little difficult to stick to the time limit on the podcast. I try to keep these about 30 minutes for you guys so you can listen in one sitting while you're washing the dishes or walking the dog or maybe even folding a load of laundry or three or four. And sometimes I get a guest that it's really just hard to stop at 30 minutes. And that was the case today with Sarah Mazarek because we were talking about books and reading and books for kids and books for moms. And it was just a delightful conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. So grab something warm or cold to drink and join us on this episode of the podcast. Sarah Mazarek always wanted to be a teacher. As a university student, she was deeply touched by the character Joe March from Louisa May Alcott's novels Little Women and Little Men. Now that she is a wife and homeschooling mother of three, Sarah draws inspiration from Joe's rebellious, eclectic, and fiercely nurturing nature. Sarah created the blog Plumfield and Paideia along with her partner, Diane Pendergraft. Plumfield and Paideia, which grew out of their Potato Peel Pie Society online book club, is a place for book reviews, reflections on motherhood, homeschool helps, and more. Sarah loves to read good books, cook good food with her husband, and encourage mamas who are on their journey to nurturing the homeschool culture that God has called them to. She joins us on this episode of the podcast to chat a little bit about her own homeschool journey. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Pam. I'm so excited about being here. Well, I am happy to have you. It is so much fun to get to chat with you because I feel like I chat with you so much online and I kind of know you, but we've never really spoken before. So this is great. This is really, it's different and fun. I love it. Well, tell me a little bit about your family. Well, I am married to my best friend. Greg and I met at Ron Colley High School where we were both high school teachers here in Northeast Wisconsin. And he then became the associate principal of a large Catholic high school here in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And I became a stay-at-home mom with our three babies. Great. And how many, you got three kids and how old are they? Michael is nine, Greta is seven, and Jack is turning six in just a couple weeks. Okay, so nice and close together. Well, how did you guys get started homeschooling, especially since you were school teachers? Yeah, isn't that kind of funny? I graduated from Hillsdale College, and Hillsdale was sort of like this homeschool bastion. If you were a homeschooler in the 90s, you were probably applying to Hillsdale. And so my first experience with homeschoolers was a bunch of really well-formed Christians who were articulate and confident. And I, I was really impressed by that. But I wanted to be a teacher, so that you know I followed my vocation. And so then, when our so then at Roncalli, Greg and I saw a lot of homeschoolers matriculate in from you know at the ninth grade or tenth grade level. And again, they were well formed, articulate, confident, really well adjusted, extremely impressive, and they made a beautiful transition into that high school environment. And Greg and I really took note of that and thought, there's something special happening there. 
And we're Catholic, and so one of the things that the church teaches is that parents are the first and foremost educators of their children. And so when our little guy was born, Michael, and he was precocious and curious, inexcitable, we began to see that perhaps a school desk wasn't a great place for him, even though we passionately believe that children deserve an excellent school. We also believe that maybe not every child should go to school, and and maybe if we could, we could affect a really meaningful education for our children right here at home. So I was listening to Focus on the Family, and Bill Bennett was on and explaining that it was his bias or prejudice that boys should not go to school before second grade, that they are squirmy and wormy and exciting and excited, and that boys should be playing in the dirt. <laughs> that really resonated with me. I thought, well, yeah, they can go to school anytime. I've seen students matriculate in at various levels. So I know that homeschool is not a disadvantage. Why not take it one year at a time and see what happens? And then once we got into it, well, you know, it's hard, but we fell in love. And so for now, it's a way of life for us. Okay, so you are kind of doing the one year at a time thing where you're not looking ahead more than a couple of years? Well, I don't, I wouldn't say that exactly. I would say that we believe in letting the Holy Spirit guide our decisions. And so if the Holy Spirit prompted us that a change needed to occur, that's what we would do. But until that occurs, we stay the course. But the more that we do this, the more convinced we are that this is for the long haul. I can't, you know, I was a high school teacher and Greg's a high school associate principal. The more we look at these little guys, the more we like them. (laughs) The older they get, the more we like them. (laughs) So I'm actually thinking I'm going to be more inclined to keep them home because I find it more and more exciting to be dealing with evolving, growing minds. It was actually the the elementary years are what are killing me. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I am right there with you on that. And it's funny because so this past week, my daughter started reading uh, Fellowship of the Ring. Her literature class is with our co-op and she actually goes there and and there's someone, you know, she's in a class with other kids and they're discussing Lord of the Rings and in the class and everything. But at home, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. This is so much better than the other stuff we've been doing. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, finally. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I know where you're coming from on that one. I mean, I think at the end of the day, we are we're 100 percent open to homeschooling to the very end. We are also more than open to it. We're quite inclined towards it. But we always want to be mindful that a child could develop a need and we would need to serve that need because that's why they're home is we're trying to serve their needs. And so if they need to integrate into a school system for any number of reasons, we'll prayerfully discern that and we're open to doing whatever it is that God calls us to do. Oh, that's great. That's great. Okay. So you've kind of alluded to the answer to the next question, but I'm going to throw it out there for you so you can either expand on this answer or maybe throw me for a loop and throw another book at me. But I normally ask my guests, which literary classic is your homeschool day most like? So are you going to tell me, little men? Are you going to go and pick another one? (laughs) It would have to be little men because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not sure I succeed, but it sure is what I want to do. So... (laughs) Let's just be optimistic and say, I'm, I'm shooting for little men. That's funny because I had Melissa Wiley on the show. And at the time that she was on the show, when I asked that question, I would do like a multiple choice 
kind of answer. And yeah. she says, well, can I answer something that's not one of your choices? And her choice was <laughs> little men. And I just thought that was so fascinating. And then you came up and, and said little men. And I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to have to read little men because I've read little <laughs> women, but I've never read the oh, other yeah, one. Not, not the same at all. She wrote Little Women under protest. Her publishers required her to write it, and she didn't want to write it. She didn't like writing romance novels. What she did love was children, and in part of that is because her father, who was good friends with Thoreau, I mean, they lived near Weldon Pond. Her father was one of the great transcendentalists, and he had a school. And Louisa was always impressed by that school. So you see in Under the Lilacs and Eight Cousins and Little Men, you see her educational philosophy coming through. And I think that was really her sweet spot. And I think that she just never was able to tease that out in her own life because of her complicated family situation. She had to stay home and she had to write and she had to provide for the family. But I think it was all said and done. I, I think that there, the Little Men was a little bit of her dream. Oh, that's great. Okay, so now I'm listening to you talk about this. And I know we're going to talk a little bit later about your Potato Peel Pie Society book club. I'm thinking that there needs to be a thread of books there. Oh, the name of it is escaping me right now. Understood, Betsy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then Little Men, we need to have kind of this educational philosophy through novel series where we read these and, (laughs) and get together and discuss these different philosophies that are coming out, not in educational theory books, but in novels and different classic works. Well, I'm so glad you said that because one of, I know, I mean, I listen to your show regularly. And one of the things I know you always ask is you ask people, what is the book that most impacted them? And I have two answers to that. But for me, it is really hearing the Holy Spirit in the classic. And so, of course, for me, that's little men. But I really think that the Holy Spirit speaks to us through Understood Betsy and Little Britches and David Copperfield and, and so many of these other books where you just think, wow, that was the best exposition on marriage I've ever seen. I couldn't teach a six-week seminar on that as well as Dickens just did in David Copperfield. So yeah, I'm, I think that the educational pedagogy that we're looking at is it's important. It, it's so important that we understand why education, why the brain works the way that it works. But I think for lots of us, we connect with it in the living books. I think even Charlotte Mason would agree with that. We can find even the fingerprints of Charlotte in all of these great, excellent living books. Yeah, that that's fascinating. Okay, somebody needs to do like a master's dissertation or something on that one, because that's, that's <laughs> really agree. cool. Somebody probably has, but that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's think back to when you were a new homeschooling mom. What was the best piece of advice you received? Don't try to create school at home. You think, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to homeschool at home. So I'm going to get desks and I'm going to get a blackboard and I am going to run a bell schedule. And I'm going to do all those things that I always wanted to do when I played school as a kid or mm-hmm. when I was a teacher. But the thing that the mentors sort of beat into me was, no, 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 no. This is home school. Home comes first. Home is the school. Now build your learning through what you're doing at home. Don't get caught up in the need to recreate what a bricks and mortar school is doing. You don't need to do that. You've got a completely different environment. And the environment is, as Charlotte says, one of the key factors in how we actually educate. So don't build your school to look like a school. Build your home. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because Dr. Perrin talks about so often 
about how schools are trying to create themselves to be more home-like, you know, and I can think about, you know, middle school classrooms or high school classes, classrooms where I taught where, you know, we would have a couch and a reading corner, or we would bring in uh, bean bags for the kids to sit and relax and read, or you even have kindergarten classes where they've met, they've made a kitchen so the kids can go over and play in the kitchen. Montessori schools are the same way, right? They're just trying to recreate what a home would be like so that a child can function in it. But we have it here at home. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, what's a piece of advice you wish someone had told you way back when? I am. You know, it's interesting because in our potato peel pie group today, somebody was asking about schedules and things. And this is a common question. And one of the things that I said was that when you are when you are looking at the future, you really don't know what's coming. And so the best thing that you can do is live in the season that you're in. Celebrate the season that you are in. Obviously, it's important that we have an eye towards the future. But when I was starting out, I just felt like I needed to know exactly what this was going to look like. And fourth grade would be like this. And eighth grade, we'd be doing that. And I have changed educational philosophies Mm. with the seasons because, well, that's not going to fit for this. And that's not going to fit for that. And so really, it was Sarah McKenzie's book, Teaching from Rest, that sort of got all that nonsense out of my head and said, no, 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 rest in the Holy Spirit and do today what it is that you're called to do. Appreciate this season right now and then trust God with the details. He'll work out, you know, he, nothing surprises him. He knows what's coming. If you honor what he gives you today, the manna is enough and he'll lead you through the tomorrow. You know, it's so funny you should say that because I can remember back before my first child was even in kindergarten and I had spreadsheets, you know, I <laughs> of K sure. through 12, every sure. subject and everything we were going to study. And it was all <laughs> laid out there. I don't even know where those are today. And it was all wrong, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure it was wrong. Because <laughs> I, you know, up until probably two or three years ago, I changed every year. And so... Yeah. Now that I'm refining my educational philosophy, though, it's always still changing. Right. It's I'm coming closer to where I can see that I might want to be, but I'm not writing anything in stone. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, the great conversation, as Mortimer Adler coined it in the great books, The Western World, is an evolving understanding. So the more that we participate in the great conversation, whether that's through our own reading of the classics or walking with our children to the classics or just educating our children or growing in our faith, it's constantly going to change. The conversation is going to evolve. And so our philosophy will evolve. If not, then we're probably doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah. We're not growing, right? <laughs> well, and that makes me think of Charlotte Mason and how much, you know, her philosophy changed through the years, too. Yeah. When you get to that sixth <laughs> volume, it was very, there were some things that were always concrete and stayed the same, but she was you know, changing her thoughts on things as she went along. Um, Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. Well, we've talked a little bit about some pieces of literature that have influenced your homeschool. Is there a particular homeschool book that's been the biggest influence on you? Sarah's book, uh, Teaching from Rest. Everything, when I, so I've been reading, like everybody, I own the six-volume set of Charlotte Mason, and I think it's fantastic, except for the crazy part, which is we should never give children pastry, but whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> there's, I love 
Charlotte Mason. And I spent some time in Thomas Jefferson education and learned some really important things about self-education there. And I love classical. And my grandfather, who is a lifelong learner, sent to me the Paideia books when he was, when he found out I was homeschooling. He loves Mortimer Adler and sent me the Paideia books. So I've been reading all those things, but none of them sort of made me feel called. None of them really gave me the confidence to, to walk out in faith and trust that what I bring is enough. And so for me, it's Sarah's book. It takes all of the theories and it says, now select, prayerfully select the truth from those theories and apply it and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to make up the difference. Wow, that's awesome. What do you say to the people who feel like that teaching for breasts proposes something that's too relaxed? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think that is a question we give a lot in symposium at Parnassus, which is the potato peel pie and the educational arm of potato peel pie. And our response to that is, no, teaching from rest turns down the volume on the noise. It proposes that instead of listening to the world, we listen to the Holy Spirit. Teaching from rest is not prescriptive. It does not say do this or do that. It says pray and follow the prompting of the Spirit. So I don't need, when I look at teaching from rest, I don't look at it as being, hey, throw it all out the window and be an unschooler. Not at all. I know lots of people who love the book and who are in classical conversation. It's how we apply the educational philosophy in balance with our vocation to care for the children and the souls in our home. I, so I don't know if that's too convoluted of an answer, but I don't think that teaching from rest is a prescription for how to educate. I think it is a reminder of why we educate, and it is permission to chase whatever methodology we discern we need for our home and our children. Oh, that's interesting. I've never thought about it like that, that it's not a prescription. Yeah. But and people want it to be because they, people are insecure. And it's, I mean, we're just, we're human, we're fallen, we're insecure. So because we're insecure, we want somebody to tell us, do it this way and it will all be okay. But one of the things that I think makes teaching from rest remarkable is it says, you will be okay, but I'm not going to tell you how to do it. You already know how to do it. You just need to go into that space inside your head and you just need to work this out. You know, Rachel DeMille used to say, one of her most genius things that she said, when people are frazzled in Thomas Jefferson education, and she says, it's, you know, there's, there's all these things going wrong and they don't know what to, what to do with their kids. And she says, take that child, stop what you're doing, take that child, cup their hands into, or cup their face into your hand, look into their eyes. It will all make sense. Have that eye to eye contact. And Andrew Kern says that in Restful Teaching, I think it was. I can't remember which of his many things in which he said it, but he said, if we just gave our children 15 minutes of eye contact and meaningful conversation a day, pretty much everything else would take care of itself. I think we forget in the power of relationships, that relationships really do cover a lot of, lot of mistakes and a lot of sins. Hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about relationships and relationships with books, because I know mm -hmm. this is a passion of yours. So talk to me a little bit about, you kind of have two arms. Actually, it breaks off into more pieces than that. But let's just talk about your two main <laughs> arms. And that's Plumfield and Paideia, which is your website or your blog. And then you also have the Potato Peel Pie Society, which is your 
book group, but it's on Facebook and it's a rather large Facebook group. I'm a member of it myself and have been for about a year. So talk to me a little bit about this. What was your mission in creating these things and why did you set out to create them? Well, two years ago, a number of us who had known each other through other online groups said, you know, we're kind of tired of everybody else's book club. We kind of wanted our own book club that we made for us. That was just, it was like coming to our living room. We could find kindred spirits who lived across the country from each other. And we could sit in each other's living room, so to speak, virtually, and read the books we want and talk the way we want to talk and have sort of this meaningful relationship. So we, we built the group. We, we, you know, the Lord kind of put it on our heart during Lent. And then by Holy Week, we built the group. And it was just a dozen people, maybe two dozen people. And then within 48 hours, we said, um, do you think we should cap this at like 30? No, no, we'll cap it at 50. Okay, we'll wait till 50. And then 12 hours later, all these people had added one or two friends. And we're like, um, we're already over 50. And so next thing we knew, we had to make a decision. What is this group? <laughs> Who are we here to serve? And it's growing. What are we going to do? Because culture is number one for us. What we most want is for people to come into this group and feel as though they've stepped into our living room and that we are going to have a cup of coffee together or tea, or in my case, a beer, and talk about books that we love. Well, then a number of other things happened. And before we knew it, within a year, we had hit our 1,000 member marker. And as we come up on our second year anniversary, we had almost 1,700 members. Our protocol for getting in is you have to be a real person who speaks English. <laughs> and and uh, if you spam, you're out. Other than that, you're allowed to stay so long as you know the, the two rules, the golden rule and keep it about the books. So that was the beginning. That was our, our book club. And we really had a C.S. Lewis moment, you know, in Four Loves when he says, friendship is born at the moment when one man mm -hmm. says to another, what? You too? And that's what happened to us. We could not believe how many kindred spirits we were finding who we never would have known about were it not for social media. And we decided we needed to be a force for, for truth and goodness and beauty, a positive light in Facebook, a place where people could come and be comfortable and ask questions and disagree, but disagree kindly. But then in the thread, certain questions kept coming up again and again and again. And it became very obvious to us after one year of our group being in existence that we needed a static place to put sort of book reviews that kept getting asked about that we could just point to or certain reflections that seemed to be responding to a reoccurring need that we were hearing in the group. And so Jamie and Diane and I built Plumfield and Paidea as, a, as just a sort of a static place to, you know, like a pin board of sorts where we could just tack up the things that other moms might need or want on their vocational journey. And then it kind of became, took on a life of its own. And so we are in the, we're coming up on our one year anniversary of Plumfield and Bidea and our two year anniversary of Potato Peel Pie and just trying to discern how much of ourselves we can put into this, what it is that God really wants us to do with it and how to honor the relationships and the friendships that we've made and how to be available to all those other moms out there who might want our kind of friendship as well. Kind of our story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I, I want to point out a couple of things as a member of Potato Peel Pie and then as a reader of 
the website, Potato Peel Pie, the conversation there is very much about books and it's book recommendations and (laughs) a lot of how do I store books? And look, I went to the thrift store and see the books I got. So it's just really, it's a great place to brag about your books or to ask questions about your books. So it's very much a literary conversation there. And so if you, if you're kind of geeky and like those book conversations, like I do, it's really a fun place to be. And it's one of the things that makes me smile when it pops up in my Facebook feed. And then at the website, not only you have book reviews, you have book reviews for moms and for kids and for you have homeschool curriculum reviews as well. That's right. Well, all of us are homeschoolers and all of us are boy moms. Diane is, uh, she teaches in a classical school today, but she was a homeschooler. Her children are grown, so that, that's why she teaches professionally now. She had two boys and a girl, and I have two boys and a girl. And it was really obvious to us that boys are an underserved segment of the population today in terms of literature and resources. And, and so we really have a heart for boys raising up men, men who will be good fathers and husbands or whatever vocation it is that they're called to. We want to raise up confident, well-adjusted men. And so we believe literature and well-chosen curriculum are sort of essential in that mix of things. So we care about boys and we care about their mama. And of course, we care about their sisters. So we love, you know, we just love all things bookish. We just love all things homeschooling. But if we really are pressed, if we have to choose between one book or another to review, if time is short, it will be the boy book. That's sort of our thing. Well, it's funny you should mention boys because I wanted to ask you about reluctant readers. And I know a lot of times boys, either because they're too busy or they somehow get it in their head that it's not cool or maybe they struggle a little more than their sisters. A lot of times boys are reluctant readers. So what about book recommendations for those reluctant readers, whether it be a boy or a girl, or maybe an older child who hasn't had much exposure to the classics? Sure. So I have a couple of tried and true things that work. First, if it's specifically a boy, and I think this applies to everybody, but boys especially, love true things. And as mamas, we tend to forget that. We tend to underestimate how important nonfiction is Mm. to boys. So really well-written nonfiction is, is just amazing for boys. It can light a fire. So that's where I would highly recommend getting your hands on landmark books, We Were There books, signature books, things like that, or any of the Burgess animal stories, all those readers, those Burgess readers. Boys love to know their world, what really happened, and how I might fit into that hierarchy or order. The other thing is, if they have been particularly maybe if they go to school or they've been to school or they have a lot of friends who go to school, modern books may be easier for them to access. And so modern books that have been penned by authors who love the classics, who have sophisticated language and complex plots, I would highly recommend in that category, you know, The Rise and Fall of Mount Majestic by Jennifer Trafton or the 100 Cupboard series by N.D. Wilson or The Angel New Papa and the Dog by Douglas Kane McKelvey, of course, The Green Ember Books by our good friend S.D. Smith. Another thing is boys love funny books. They just do, even more so than girls, I think. I noticed that in all my years of teaching, boys are always the first one to laugh. And so I think three really awesome books for getting boys to laugh that are different styles. Freddie the Detective, which is It's a book from 1942, but it reads like it was written recently. It's very funny. It's dressed animals, barnyard animals, and it seems like it would be dumb and the cover is horrible, but but the book is wonderful. 
And Heidi Scovel has a book detective workup on that one. So if you do that one and you want to have a little conversation, that's a great place to start. Bethlehem Books has a book called Good Old Archibald that is hilarious. I don't know anybody who has read it and disliked it. And boys, just they just want to keep reading. And each chapter is like a vignette. So you can sort of eat that chapter and then put it down and then come back. And then the Henry Reed books, which are also just a great, like an older book, but really sort of the boys are just timeless. Henry is timeless in it. And there's a strong tomboy girl in there as well, who is delightful. I love her. Douglas Payne McKelvey, at our request in Potato Peel Pie, created a journal called the Stories We Shared Journal. It's not your standard book reading journal. It's so much bigger than people realize. Physically, it's huge. But there are quests in it. And Douglas is a homeschool dad. So he's, he's been through this already. And he knows how kids like to read. And so in the back of that book are about a dozen quests, like time travel quests and fantasy quests and all these different kinds of things. And boys like a challenge. So you get them off in a direction and say, well, you need to find 10 books to read that are in this theme. Hey, you don't have your book yet if you're in the animals. You don't have a lion book yet or whatever. Boys love to put puzzles together like that. And, and so I think that journal can be very helpful for boys, getting them sort of excited about the process. Oh, that's an interesting concept. I love it. I love it. Well, those are some great suggestions. Wow, because now we have, I hadn't heard of a number of those. So you've given me some wonderful things to go and look for and to look at for my boys, who uh, one I have is definitely a reluctant reader. So that's awesome. Well, before we go, let me ask you one more question, which I know is kind of near and dear to your heart. And it is to mine too. Sometimes as busy moms, we might feel like our own education in great books is a bit lacking. And we shy away from diving into meteor books, sometimes because we're tired. (laughs) You know, sometimes it's not necessarily that we're shying away so much as we're just exhausted. But what are some of your best tips for overcoming these obstacles that we face as moms into getting getting into these meteor books? And what are some that you might suggest for getting us started? Well, first, I would say, make your family read aloud a classic. If children's classics are great, they're still classics. Something like The Princess and the Goblin by George MacDonald. When we're reading that out loud to our children, we get the texture of the words in our mouth. We can feel the words and then we can hear the beauty of those words. And because you're reading it for the kids, suddenly it feels like it's a valuable thing to do and we'll make time for it because mamas will always take care of their babies, even if they won't take care of themselves, right? Next, I would say these two things go part and parcel. Um, I am pushed forward in my reading by having reading buddies. And I found my reading buddies in a book club. So I found readers who were like me, who wanted to read things that I wanted to read. And having a reading buddy, and you work it out for however it works for you. For me, We get together, well, we talk every day on Boxer, but once a month, we have a day where we say, okay, what are we finishing up this month? What are we starting next month? And we always have something little. Like we read one Chesterton essay a week, just two and a half or three pages long. Super simple, but we get our Chesterton in that way. And then we read something really kind of intimidating that we didn't want to read. But if we read it together, then we can sort of push each other through it and talk about it and ask questions, unpack it. Somebody you get to share the journey with, somebody you get to cry with. Like my reading buddy and I have been reading a lot of biographies and all of our favorite people die at the end. (laughs) Somebody to cry with. And the other thing is 
I would say a book club, like you were saying earlier, we need to have sort of these classics that speak to our vocation. As moms, it's really hard to get excited about maybe reading the Aeneid unless you're pre-reading it for your child or it's just on your bucket list. But you will probably pick up something like Little Men or you'll pick up a Gene Stratton Porter book like Freckles and fall in love with naturalism and the way that Gene Stratton Porter gives you this old language but it's still very accessible. And the way that she describes nature, it helps you fall in love with this nature study that you know you should be doing for your kids. So I say, find a book club that's willing to read some of these vocational books and talk about them with other people. You'll get excited about them. You'll feel a kinship. The books will become like your friends. Oh, I love it. Okay, so I have to interject a little bit. I, you know, I'm a member of a local book club and I have to say we haven't met in the past couple of months. So we kind of need to, get ourselves going again and meet. And then I've been in book clubs online. And so recently, I got scolded by the Scolay sisters because I didn't have a Scolay RDA for our podcast. (laughs) I wasn't reading a book. And, you know, Brandy hasn't let me live it down yet. And so (laughs) my good friend Dawn Garrett found out that I was in trouble. And so she came to me and she said, I want to read The Living Page, which was a book I'd actually mentioned that I was going to read. And it's a book by Lori Bestvader on keeping notebooks with Charlotte Mason. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Yeah. Yes. And so Dawn... I need to read it too. (laughs) Okay. Well, Dawn comes to me and she says, okay, I want to read this book too. It's been on my shelf forever. Let's read it together. And one of the smartest things we did, and we knew we were going to read it on Voxer, And so basically, we're reading to each other. And for those of you, we're not reading to each other. We're actually reading separately. But for those of you who don't know what Voxer is, it's like a walkie-talkie app. But you can leave recordings of your messages. And so you don't have to talk to other people in real time. You actually can. It's almost like leaving somebody a text message, but it's voice. And it's fabulous because you're not typing a bunch of things out. You're able to have a conversation. But if the other person isn't available, you just leave the little recording there and they come back when they are available and can listen and respond to you. The best thing we did, though, was we had this entire conversation before we started reading the book. And I said, "Okay, what do you need to happen to make this work for you? And then I told her what I needed to happen for it to work for me. And what we discovered was one of the things that bogs us down in book clubs is having to wait. So like if the first chapter, you know, if if you say, okay, we're going to take one week and you were going to read the first chapter this week and you get to the end and you say what you want to say about the first chapter and you're just anxious to go on, but you have to wait. That's when you lose your momentum. Yeah. And so I think finding a buddy kind of like this who where you can talk about okay, we're going to read this book together, but this is what I need to happen. And for both of us, it was that we needed to finish the chapter and then be able to say, okay, now we're going to move on and not hold ourselves to some artificial timeline. So I think that's so important for moms is to find somebody that they can work with far or near. You know, you could find somebody locally or via Voxer. All you need is a smartphone or even just a computer. It's available online. And yeah, you know, set up that conversation in a way that's going to work for you. And, you know, in our group in Potato Peel Pie, we do monthly book clubs. And one of the things that it's in, it is, of course, on Facebook versus Voxer. But one of the things that's cool about it is we have a thread for each chapter. So people chime in when they are on that thread. 
but they don't have to read a thread until they've gotten to that place. So they go into a completely different room, so to speak, they go into a different group, but it's one of our groups. And they go in there and they say, okay, in April, for example, we are reading Jane Eyre. And so we'll put three chapters together for Jane Eyre. And everybody who wants to talk about both three chapters will come into a thread or an event inside of it. And they can talk freely about spoilers, but then they can keep reading and comment on other threads, or they can just wait until they're caught up. And it's great because people can come back later. You know, some people join the group and they want to discuss something that we discussed six months ago. They come back and they bring those threads back to life. And people are so excited about discussing Freckles all over again or a Jane Austen education or Sherlock Holmes or whatever. But like you were saying with you and Dawn, I really love Voxer just to have my one-on-one buddy where she and I really push each other and we're very much into each other's preferences. We want to read the things that we want to read. We still read with the group, but then we've got this, our own little friendship on the side. And then we have our own vernacular. We refer to things in a shorthand on Facebook and on Voxer because those are things that that shorthand evolved out of our Voxer chat. Like we know what it means when Balak cries into his beer, when Mm -hmm. Hilaire Balak is crying at Chesterton's funeral and he's sobbing into his beer. And we know what that, for us, we know what that means. That's when we were sobbing, (laughs) reading that portion of, of that book. So it's just a wonderful way to grow a friendship and bring new friends to the friendship, meaning the dead authors who are released from their mortal coil, as Joseph Pierce says. Yeah. Okay. So mamas, we're encouraging you find some way, whether it be with a group like Potato Peel Pie on Facebook. I love the fact that you keep those threads open and people can, they can move at their own pace. I think that's so important is we get so bogged down in what we're able to do. You know, as moms, we kind of have to work in fits and starts when it works for us. And so finding some way it's flexible enough for us to move at our own pace, I think is vital to our success. And and very a la carte. Read what you want to read. Don't read what you don't want to read. Don't use somebody else's reading list. If you don't like a book, put it down. (laughs) Get a new one you do like. Reading should be something that's life-giving. It shouldn't be a chore. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, that's a great way to end. And so we're going to move from that into the fast five. Are you ready for this? Awesome. Okay. I'm ready. What is one thing in your Amazon cart right now? Lots of landmark books. Your favorite family read aloud. Good old Archibald from Bethlehem Books. Okay. The best field trip you guys have ever taken. The Field Museum in Chicago for the Greek display. Oh, fun. All right. So what are you, Mama, reading right now? Charles Dickens by G.K. Chesterton. (laughs) All right. And I have got to have blank to get me through the day. Mystic Monk coffee in the morning and something, some good beer at night. Some good beer at night. We should mention you guys do homebrew. You brew your own, don't you? <laughs> yeah, we're foodies and gardeners. So yeah, we, my husband brews beer. It's great chemistry. <laughs> fun, fun. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me here today. Tell everybody where they can find you online. www.plumfieldandpidea.com or the Potato Peel Pie Society on Facebook. All right. And we'll include links to both of those in the show notes for this episode. So thanks so much. Thank you, Pam. This was fun. 
And there you have it. Now, if you would like links to any of the resources that Sarah and I spoke about today and all of her great book recommendations, we have them for you on the show notes for this podcast. You can find that at pambarnhill.com forward slash HSP 49. Also on the show notes for this podcast, we have instructions for you on how to leave a rating or review for the Homeschool Snapshots podcast on iTunes. The ratings and reviews you leave in iTunes help us get the word out about the podcast to new listeners, and we appreciate it when you take the time to do that. We'll be back in a couple of weeks for another great homeschooling interview. And until then, keep on homeschooling.